The last page has been turned on my most recent read and I'm enjoying a cup of lemon and ginger tea because cold season has really begun and I could truly do without losing my voice because that means I can't take part in any meetings at work and I also can't record this podcast. I am finally able to shut the world out in the evenings thanks to a new set of curtains and this week my office come studio is being remodelled. And of course, I am here ready to tell you all about the book I've just finished. So here I am, no spoilers, opinion filled as always, and ready to roll. All of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. I'm Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and ex-coffee addict. Not sure if I am ever going to get used to that last bit. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. As this is the start of the second full week of October, I am really not sure where this year has gone, or as I'm now going to creatively call it, Booktober, I am going to turn to the slightly more spooky. And by slightly, I mean this book wasn't really spooky at all. And for the rest of the month, I will be looking at books with a sort of Halloween or scary theme, sort of. And that's why I have returned to Carsley and to Agatha Raisin for the 14th book of the series, Agatha Raisin and the Haunted House, by M.C. Beaton. I honestly thought that this was going to be a lot spookier given the cover and the title and far more Halloween themed than it turned out to be. But then, I have to be honest, I was judging it on the TV episodes of the same name that were part of the third season. So welcome to Booktober, where the books will be a little less summer and more appropriate in most cases for reading with a hot cup of cocoa or in the case of next week's book, a few shots of very strong whiskey. Light a few candles, or perhaps just switch on that reading lamp, because a bit of atmosphere is always a wonderful accompaniment to a reading session. Get yourself a fresh cup of something hot, or a glass of something chilled, depending entirely on when you're listening, of course. And let's get started. Just back from an extended stay in London, Agatha Raisin finds herself greeted by torrential rains and an old familiar feeling of boredom. When her handsome new neighbour, Paul Chatterton, shows up on her doorstep, she tries her best to ignore his obvious charms, but his sparkling black eyes and the promise of adventure soon lure her to another investigation. Paul has heard rumours about Agatha's reputation as the Cotswold village sleuth and wastes no time offering their services to the crotchety owner of a haunted house. Whispers, footsteps and a cold white mist are plaguing Mrs Witherspoon, but the police have failed to come up with any leads, supernatural or otherwise. The neighbours think it's all a desperate ploy for attention, but Paul and Agatha are sure something more devious is going on. Someone's playing tricks on Mrs Witherspoon, and when she turns up dead under suspicious circumstances, Agatha finds herself caught up in another baffling murder mystery. 
Agatha is trying her hand at freelancing in PR, a world that she has retired from but can't quite seem to leave behind. But to be fair, to her at least, she is very good at it. And since her husband James left her and disappeared, she's in need of the distraction. When she returns from London to find that the house where James lived has been sold on to a man named Paul Chatterton, she's in denial. She tells her friend, Mrs. Bloxby, the vicar's wife, that she is not going to get herself distracted by men. And as Paul claims to be married to the wonderful but absent Juanita, there's not going to be a problem anyway. Agatha's reputation has preceded her and it seems that Paul has an interest in investigating mysteries, as does Agatha, and has the perfect case, which he wants Agatha to join him on. A house in nearby Hebden, Ivy Cottage, is apparently haunted and the ghosts are terrorising the elderly owner, Mrs Witherspoon. She is terrified, but she is also incredibly mean. Mean as a snake, actually. I really wouldn't want anything to do with her. So much so that her two children, Carol and Harry, have all but disowned her. Eager to dissolve the mystery, Agatha and Paul join forces and offer their services to Mrs Witherspoon, who is as mean to them as she is to everyone else. Mystery not solved because they cannot find the source and actually end up thinking that perhaps the whole theory on it's just attention-seeking may be right, or she's a woman going a little bit loopy, cooped up in her cottage with no one's for company. Paul and Agatha eventually admit defeat and go on their merry way, with Agatha persuaded by Roy Silver, an ex-colleague, to return to London, where it's much different to little quiet Carsley, to do more PR work for yet another fast fashion brand, which Agatha actually has some issues, maybe social responsibility, I honestly don't know, with getting involved in, but it's money and she is so bored. And as anyone will tell you, boredom is a dangerous thing at any age, especially older and you've got no job and you've got nothing else to drive you apart from the ladies' society. And poor Agatha really can't cope with that any longer. And of course, we have Paul who has moved from Spain where his wife is happily living still and he's got to settle into and adjust to quiet village life in Carsley. Months pass and Agatha returns from London, determined that she is going to put her fanciful thoughts of having anything to do with Paul behind her. And when she returns, she reads of a murder in Hebden. Mean old Mrs Witherspoon has been found dead in her home, clubbed on the back of the head, so hardly an accidental death. No one knows who did it, but there is a raft of suspects to pick from. Agatha and Paul once again join forces, which reignites her interest, unfortunately, in having him as more than just a platonic partner. Unfortunately for Aggie, Paul plays up to this, which I personally find a little bit cruel. He knows that she is interested and he knows that he has zero intention of taking things further, but he needs her. The pair seem to work together pretty well, interviewing Mrs. Witherspoon's two children, Carol and Harry, two more different people you could never meet, gathering up the gossip from the village to try and figure out a motive for the murder, apart from the fact that she's a mean old cow. And it all seems to boil down to one thing, as it quite often does when it comes to mean old family members. Money. 
Of course, there is also the rumour of a treasure on the land, secret passageways under the house, and a mystery that dates back to the time of Cromwell, otherwise known, apparently, as the Commonwealth Age. Did you know that? Because I didn't, and I ended up looking it up after reading it in this book. Anyway, Sir Geoffrey Lamont's treasure is meant to be buried on the land somewhere, at least according to village gossip that has been passed down for generations. So could this be the motive? Things are never straightforward in an Agatha Raisin mystery, and this one is no different, and it's actually why I love them in the first place. Just when Paul and Agatha seem to be getting somewhere, they have a motive, they have their clear suspects, and they are way ahead of the police. In this case, a rather unlikable detective, Runcorn, who is consistently telling Agatha that she is getting in the way, there is another murder. While all of this is going on, something else jams up the works. Charles Fraith, Agatha's friend and an old fling, returns. His marriage has fallen apart, a marriage that apparently hadn't taken place in the previous book. His wife has left, left him for another and taken their children, also neither of whom existed, with her. As ever, he is almost pissing up a tree when it comes to marking Agatha as his territory and effectively scares Paul away, much to Agatha's chagrin. With Paul seemingly unwilling to work with Charles, Agatha is forced to drag her old friend along with her on the investigation, while inexperienced but eager Paul goes it alone. Not a good thing, as Agatha has learned in the past and continues to learn in the future. Actually, no, that's the problem. She doesn't learn it. She consistently does it and still doesn't learn that it's dangerous to do so. You should never confront a suspected murderer, at least not on your own and unarmed. <laughs> As always seems to be the case with these investigations, Agatha manages to rub a number of people up the wrong way, sticking her nose into their business, frustrating and agitating them to the point where they just give her the information in hopes it will get her to leave them alone. Not a bad quality, admittedly, when it comes to a private detective, though it does occasionally land her in serious hot water. Normally, Agatha has the reluctant support of Carsley Police, thanks to her friendship with Bill Wong, and the fact that he used to have a crush on her. But with the young detective off this particular case, she is coming up against a lot of roadblocks, courtesy of Runcorn and his colleagues. A word of warning to you, Mrs Raisin. It's only in books that old biddies from villages can help the police. In real life, they're a pain in the arse. Runcorn, and eventually Paul, play on Agatha's insecurities. One thing that is made clear throughout the book series is the fact that Agatha dreads being seen as over the hill and too old to be of any use to anyone. The fact that Agatha's age is referred to many times in this book and the others I've read in the series actually shows that playing on this insecurity is a device used to try and put her in her place or at least the place that is felt appropriate for her, namely out of the way. With Charles at her side, Agatha is more effective as she is less distracted with thoughts of ways to get closer to Paul. And she's also trying desperately to convince Charles that no, nothing is ever going to happen with us again. Though, of course, Paul is still in her thoughts and she is just a little resentful of the fact that Charles's presence has scared her would-be suitor away. Of course, Charles knows Agatha better than she knows herself and in his own way, he's trying to protect her because she is his friend, albeit one he wants to consist constantly sleep with. Paul's a non-starter, Aggie. 
You have a genius for chasing after men who are going to hurt you. And he's not wrong. She really does. I mean, James hurt her. They had a relationship. They got married after the disaster with her ex-husband, who wasn't her ex-husband, turning up dead. And then he runs off and leaves her after being suspected of murder. She really has got abysmal taste. During their investigation, Charles and Agatha discovered that the second murder victim, a Mrs. Robin Barley, fancied herself something of an Andram queen, but she also ruled many parts of Hebden with an iron fist. So the connection with Mrs. Witherspoon and her murder isn't exactly clear until the end, and I'm not going to tell you that. However, there is one name that keeps on popping up, Peter Frampton. So of course... Charles and Aggie have to go and question this man who has an avid interest in local history and find out exactly what he knows. He's relatively innocuous, leaving the Towdy Historical Society. He's also the owner of a construction company and a bit of a ladies' man, or at least he fancies himself as that. Not unlike Charles or Paul in many ways, if I'm being honest. There seem to be a lot of ladies' men in these books, While Agatha and Charles are out questioning people who have little to no connection to the two murders, the police arrest Mrs. Witherspoon's son, Harry, a man in his 60s who runs a shop, hated his mother with a passion and stood to inherit a lot of money on her death. But could it really be that simple? Could the motive really just be money? From this point onwards, it's all hands on deck. Can anyone prove Harry's innocence or do the police have it right? If I tell you that there's another murder after all of this, or at least the discovery of another body, I am not spoiling anything, I promise. But I am not going to tell you anything else. Before I get into what I thought of this book, you know that I like to make sure my reviews are balanced. Because I think that getting opinions from both ends of the spectrum is important. No two people will review a book or look at it in the same way, and I would never claim to be the definitive opinion on something like reading, as it's so subjective. So what did other reviewers think of Agatha Raisin and The Haunted House? Christina gave the book a two-star review, finding it to be one of the less exciting novels in the series. Agatha Raisin and The Haunted House by M.C. Beaton. Average at best. Not sure why I keep reading these. The formula is pretty standard. Agatha returns from some London assignment to find a new man moved in next door. She immediately imagines some happy ever after with him and obsesses about her appearance. Meanwhile, she sticks her nose into someone else's business and there is a murder. The police fail about. Agatha enlists the help of the new guy and they solve the murder. At various points, Sir Charles will show up and help out, make the new guy jealous, or both. That's it, nothing else to it. In the process, of course, I get extremely annoyed that a seemingly capable woman could be so shallow and needy. The only positive is that they are always a quick and undemanding read, and sometimes that is just what's needed. I guess the other reason for me reading this series is that I was given a number of them in Kindle format, so they are there when I'm looking for something mindless. This book was, on the whole, received better than a number of the other later Agatha Raisin books that I have read recently, with an overall score of 3.75 out of 5 on Goodreads and 39% of reviewers giving it at least a 4-star rating. Sophie gave the book 5 stars and is a big fan of the series as a whole. 
I absolutely love the Agatha Raisin series of books. They are quick, easy, fun reads. They keep hold of my attention really easily, and I have to admit I rarely figure out who the killer is. The books always keep me on my toes and keep my mind working to figure out who it could be. The characters that feature in the story are very well described so that you get a vivid picture of each of them in your mind as you're reading the novels, which also helps when you're trying to figure out who did it. The book is fast-paced and doesn't move from the main storyline like a few murder mystery books do, so you end up losing track of what's going on in the story. There are a few recurring characters which make the series even better as you get to know the characters even more. It is mainly set in a village, which is far from being quiet and boring, and you get the typical nosy characters who are just a joy to read in these books. I would definitely recommend this series of books to anyone who enjoys fun murder mysteries. So now we get to my view. Did I like Agatha Raisin and the Haunted House? I had almost given up on Agatha Raisin after the last two books I read, There Goes the Bride and A Spoonful of Poison. Neither of these mysteries was focused enough on the mystery that they were about, apparently. Instead, becoming more of a critique of Agatha and her inability to cope with the fact that she is getting older and this need she has to jump from one disastrous relationship to the next without any thought for the consequences. For me, The Haunted House had more of the positive qualities that I associate with the earlier stories, especially Quiche of Death, which is the first one and remains my all-time favourite. We have strong character development, a smaller, tighter cast, and a focus on the mystery that needed to be solved, which is a massive change, especially from There Goes the Bride, which seemed far more focused on Agatha's confusing and convoluted love life. The fact that the more I read, the more complicated yet non-convoluted the mystery became was actually appealing to me. I knew that I had seen the TV episodes that were based on this book, but I didn't solve it before the end because the outcome is very different. I thought I had solved it, but it turned out that I was looking in the completely wrong direction for the murderer as I had the incorrect motive. Go me, aren't I great? As much as I love being right, sometimes it's really nice to be the one who sits there and says, oh, I'd forgotten about that when it comes to the final big reveal. That makes it all the more exciting. As I've already mentioned, this book was lighter on characters than previous reads, and that actually worked in the story's favour. While we were introduced to other potential love interests for Agatha in the form of the flirtatious but also somewhat unlikable Paul Chatterton, he was someone who I didn't mind not learning more about. When Charles returned, he's one of my favourite characters, just before the halfway point of the book, I was actually relieved. Despite the fact that there are elements of Charles's character that are reminiscent of that bully everyone knew at school, you know, the one who's like, oh yeah, I remember him. He brings out better qualities in Agatha. And as the lead in the book, she needs to be someone you can cheer for. And so often that is not the case with her. He doesn't let her live under any delusions. He says things exactly as they are, but also brings some levity to the proceedings. And that is something I can really appreciate about him. Agatha was thankfully less of a manhunter in this book. Granted, it's only been three books since her husband did a runner and she's still recovering from that, unsurprisingly. 
but she still has her moments. And there were occasions when I really wanted to slap her, if only to waken the common sense she so desperately needed in order to solve three murders and ensure that the right person was arrested. Overall, this is probably one of the better Agatha Raisin books I've read in recent months, because despite the fact that Agatha does get a bit distractive with the want of a new relationship, it's not as all-consuming as it later becomes. And because of that, she is far more likeable and far less bitter about the fact that she is no longer the lithe young thing she once was, and that is something that she harps on about a great deal more in later books. Will I read more in the Agatha Raisin series? It's actually been a few months since I read an Agatha and I'll probably take a break from them now until the new year. I do have a number of other mystery novels though that I've got to work my way through and I have read more by new and exciting authors over the last few weeks. The next book in the Agatha Raisin series, book 33, is called Devil's Delight and it's due for release I think on the 13th of December but as MC Beaton is sadly no longer with us this has actually been written by another author called R.W. Green. I haven't read any of the newer novels but if I'm being completely honest I'm not in any hurry as I still have a few of the older ones to go and I actually prefer the writing style in those as Agatha is a far more likeable and less bitter character. Those That characteristic is one I don't really like in her. As with every book in this series, I feel like I'm taking a bit of a risk because some are enjoyable and others really aren't. But you never know which one you're going to get. I feel like I'm going to be talking Forrest Gump here, but it is like we're opening a box of Quality Street. Sometimes you get a strawberry cream, which I personally do not like at all. And others, you'll get the green triangle and be seriously happy about it. If you're looking for something like this or you loved this and want something else, then this might be the direction you should go. I feel like I am personally forever recommending murder mysteries because I read so many of them. In fact, I didn't used to read any and then all of a sudden one day I discovered that actually I liked them. I read them for good reason though. They are fun. So if you're looking for something new, then I do have a few recommendations that I haven't talked about before that I think you may enjoy. Death on the Pier by Jamie West. I spoke with him last week, so listen to that episode if you want to find out more about the book without any spoilers. And his book is based in the theatre that was once on the end of Brighton Pier. And this is a great place to start, especially if you love a locked room mystery. And it comes out on the 10th of October. Magpie Murders by Anthony Horowitz. Enter the world of publishing with Susan Ryland, an editor who ends up investigating the murder of her best-selling novelist. This is a book within a book, and if you enjoy Horowitz's take on Sherlock Holmes, then you will really love this twisted murder mystery. I have been reading a number of Agatha Christie's Hercule Poirot tales, including Evil Under the Sun and Murder on the Links. I have to be honest and say that I prefer Poirot to Marple, but she has a massive back catalogue, so pick any one of hers and you'll get a great murder mystery. Robert Thorogood may not be a name you are familiar with, but if you have seen any of the TV series Death in Paradise, then you'll know his work. 
He's written several novels. I think there's four of them based on the fictional island of Saint-Marie. But he is also working on a murder mystery series based in Marlowe. The first one of those came out, I think, January last year and is called The Marlowe Murder Club. Autumn is definitely here. I very nearly had to turn on my heating for the first time since February, but I resisted instead just adding another layer of clothing. Yes, I put on a lot of jumpers and cuddling a hot water bottle. I can't believe how clear the skies still are and how chilly it is. All of that said, now is the perfect time to start picking out books that are cosy and give you a warm, happy feeling. It's also the time to rewatch Chalet Girl, The Holiday and Die Hard. As I've already mentioned, I am going to be reading a few slightly darker tales over the next few weeks and even have them picked out. One is a book I haven't read for more than 20 years and the other is a book that I read for the first time just a week ago and I think you'll definitely find them maybe fascinating in a weird and twisted way. I have been incredibly disciplined with books over the last few weeks, though I did have a tiny slip up and purchased a new book that was delivered on Saturday. Check out Instagram if you want to find out what it was. I am trying to be restrained as I've just invested a lot of funds in paint, decorators and even more new curtains. Yes, I bought a second set, but they are not for the lounge. My office is in need of a massive refresh. So bookshelves, paint, lights and a bit of extra storage have been the things on my shopping list rather than new reading material. I am still making plans for where being bookish is going in 2023. And as they become more detailed, it's getting more exciting, but it's also making me realise there are things I need to change about a lot of other things too. Despite the fact that my book purchases have been few and far between over the last few weeks, I have still been getting recommendations and my TBR pile keeps on getting just a little bit taller, hence another load of bookcases. I still want to hear from you, though, if you have any suggestions. So if there is a fiction novel that you think I would love, recommend away. Send me an email at notbeforecoffeepodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Twitter or Instagram, and I will be sure to take a look, though it will take me a few months to get to it. This week is a little quieter when it comes to book releases, but there is still something going on, and everything is different. So here are some of the books coming out in the week starting the 10th of October. If you love dark tales, myth, monsters and magic, this illustrated book by Marjorie Louis, The Night Eaters, is something you'll want to read. Princess of Souls is the second book by Alexandra Christo based in the fantasy world that started in To Kill a Kingdom. If you loved Six of Crows and the world created by Lee Bardugo, this could be your next fantasy fix. You know I don't like to comment on politics at all. But if you've been following developments in the US since June, then No Choice by Becca Andrews might be something for you to add to your reading list. 
This could be the perfect book for your cat lover or the cat lover in your life, or maybe not. <laughs> the Evil Secret Society of Cats by Pandania is just over 100 pages of cat illustrations and stories of how cats want to take over. I wouldn't be surprised given how my cat looks at me. A lot of the releases coming out this week are manga, graphic novels and factual books, as well as football annuals, which definitely tells me we're reaching the end of the year. Though gone are the days of the Bunty and Mandy annuals that I used to get in my stocking. What books did you get in your stocking when you were younger? Did any of you spend the first part of Christmas morning hoping that your generic horoscope was going to come true? I know I did. One year it did come true, actually. I think I was 13 and I had a horoscope that said, you will get a short notice trip. And I did. A week before my aunt went to Portugal that summer, I got asked if I wanted to go because their au pair had quit. So I got a two-week holiday in a luxury villa on the Algarve. So that year it did come true. I haven't talked about all the books coming out, but if you want to find out more about new releases in the next few months, make sure to sign up for my newsletter by clicking the button on my website or heading to my Twitter page. So how are things in the bookish household this week? Um, okay, so here's where I get honest. They aren't bad. There, I said it. They aren't bad. Today, if you're listening to this on release day, is World Mental Health Day. So I want to say one thing and be done with it. If you or anyone you know is suffering from mental health issues, whether that is anxiety, depression, stress, please talk to someone. I know that it's difficult to get therapy. I know that it's really difficult, especially in the UK, to get a counselling appointment because the waiting lists are horrific. But you always find somebody to talk to. I'm not talking here about going and sitting next to someone on the bus stop a total stranger, and pouring your heart out because for all you know, they are suffering just as you are. Talk with a friend, talk with a family member. Heck, even message me on Twitter or Instagram. If you're in need of help, support or anything else and you have no one else to talk to, call someone. There is always going to be someone at the end of the line, whether that's time to talk, mind, the Samaritans, phone someone, send someone a message on a social media platform that you know. And if you aren't someone who needs help, but you have a friend who needs help, listen to them. Just that's all they need. That's all we need is someone that will listen. Just a sympathetic ear. So if you have a friend who needs help or you are the friend who needs help, reach out. It doesn't hurt to say, hey, how are you? Or, hey, I need to talk. It can be hard to admit that you need help and that you need to talk. 
but there will be someone listening. There always is. It's just a case of opening up and saying something. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. This is my sounding board. <laughs> if you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family? And please post a star rating on Good Pods, Spotify, Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. You can follow me on Twitter at being underscore bookish and on Instagram at beingbookishpod. Or you can check out my website, beingbookish.co.uk, where I have a new section called Rapid Reviews if you want to read a spoiler-free review that takes less than three minutes. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week, and a new book is calling me. So until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.